Hello there. You're listening to the Keizu Poetry Slamcast. My name is Tracy Smith. This podcast is made up of archival recordings from the Kalamazoo Poetry Slam, which existed between well, the late 90s and the 2000-aught diggities. Went for about 10 years. That's a pretty good run for a poetry slam. This week's podcast is part one of three. It's a long show, so I cut it up into three 40-ish minute segments. You're going to hear me open the show with a cover poem by Ernest Klein, who you may know as the author of Ready Player One. Back then, he was just a nerd who did poetry. Our special guest features and hosts for the Slam are Shappy, Shappy Seascholtz, Uncle Shappy, and his, at the time, paramour, Christine O'Keefe Aptowitz. Now, the two of them, separate, were both superstars of the Slam community at the time, but together they were Shaptowitz. So you're going to hear a little bit of them. You're going to hear a little bit of open mic in this show, and then next week we get the rest of their feature and part of the slam, and then the second round of the slam the week after that. Well, let's get this fucking show on the road, shall we? This is Slam Poem. Later, like, the poems are like, you dirty fucking whore. But this is one of the good ones from the beginning. My ears reach in the suburban noise of night. There's a question asked in one naked moment that A very serious poem by Ernie Klein. Orbiting the sun at about 98 million miles is a little blue planet. And this planet is run by a bunch of monkeys. Now the monkeys don't think of themselves as monkeys. Hell, they don't even think of themselves as animals and they love to list all the things they think make them separate from the rest of the animals. Opposable thumbs, self-awareness, they'll use words like homo erectus and australopithecus. You say tomato, they'll say tomato. But they're animals, all right. They're monkeys. Monkeys with high-speed digital fiber optic technology, but monkeys nevertheless. I mean, they're clever. You gotta give them that. The pyramids, skyscrapers, phantom jets, the Great Wall of China. That's all a bunch of pretty impressive shit for a bunch of monkeys. Monkeys whose brains have evolved to such an unmanageable size that it's pretty much impossible for them to be happy for any length of time. In fact, they're the only animals that think they're supposed to be happy. All the other animals can just be, but it's not that simple for the monkeys, you see. The monkeys are cursed with consciousness. And so the monkeys are afraid. And so the monkeys worry. The monkeys worry about everything. But mostly about what all the other monkeys think. Because the monkeys desperately want to fit in with all the other monkeys, which is hard to do because a lot of the monkeys seem to hate each other. That's what really separates them from the other animals. These monkeys can hate. They 
hate monkeys that are different, monkeys from different places, monkeys of different colors. You see, the monkeys feel alone. All six billion of them. Some of the monkeys pay other monkeys to listen to their problems because the monkeys want answers. And the monkeys don't want to die before they get their answers, so the monkeys make up gods. Then the monkeys argue over who's made up gods or better. Then the, the monkeys get really pissed off, and this is about the time that the monkeys decide it's time to start killing each other. So the monkeys wage war, the monkeys make hydrogen bombs, the monkeys got their whole fucking planet wired to explode. The monkey can't help it. Some of the monkeys play to sold out crowds of other monkeys. The monkeys make trophies and then they give them to each other like it means something. Some of these monkeys think they have it all worked out. Some of the monkeys read Nietzsche. The monkeys argue about Nietzsche without any consideration that Nietzsche was just another fucking monkey. The monkeys fall in love. The monkeys make plans. The monkeys fuck and make other monkeys. The monkeys make music. The monkeys dance. Dance, monkeys, dance! The monkeys make a hell of a lot of noise. Exhibit A, monkey making noise. And when he's done, five other randomly selected monkeys will rate his monkey noise on a scale from one to ten, and at the end of the night, they will add all the numbers up and to see which monkey made the best noise. You see? You see? These are some pretty fucked up monkeys. These monkeys are at once the ugliest, bloodiest, most vicious, and beautiful creatures on earth. And the monkeys, they don't want to be monkeys. They want to be something else. But they're not. Welcome to the 2002, the fifth annual Kalamazoo Poetry Slam team finals. It's been going on all month. All month, poets have been coming. They've been reading poetry. They've been getting scores. They've been reading more poetry. They've been getting more scores. On and on and on and on. And we've cut it down to six. The top six poets from around here are here tonight to do two rounds of slam for you. The top four poets will become the 2002 Kalamazoo Slam Poetry Team. That team, yes, yes, that team will go to the National Poetry Slam this summer and compete against hundreds of the best performance poets from all around the nation. That's how it goes. Oh wait, I don't, I don't, I don't need this yet. It's open mic time. And since it sucks to be first in the open mic, we always ask our feature poets, our most special and honored guests, to come up and entertain you first. Just, you know, so that you don't bitch at me later about having to go first. Our guest host for 
the second year running, formerly of Chicago, the comic genius Shappy is here. And with him, oh no, he's not alone. With him, Christine O'Keefe Haptowitz, Slam Master of New York City. Bring him up, guys. Hello, Keizu. Are you ready to rock? We are Shaftowitz. We're like a light version of Sonny and Cher. (laughs) Or a heavy version. (laughs) Oh, great. Already with the fat jokes. Thanks, honey. And we're gonna we're gonna be uh, hosting. Thank you so much, Tracy, for allowing us to come in and host this uh, amazing, amazing. Because if Tracy had to host, his head probably would have exploded on stage. <laughs> and what we're gonna do is we're gonna do two poems each now, and then before the slam, two poems each, and uh, and then then the evening will be all Kalamazoo. Wow, no city pride What's here. <laughs> what what city New, pride? In New York, someone would have thrown a chair at me like that's right, motherfucker. Somebody was over at the uh, (laughs) Water Street coffee joint and enjoying some delicious dark... I I have a two-cup limit, but it's like kitty swimming pools over there. I think you all got, like, extra cyanide in your water. All right. So I'm going to start out. We're going to round-robin it a bit. So I'm going to start out with uh, a poem requested from my friend Seth Myers, who I've known since the third grade, who drove here from Detroit. And who is a brilliant writer in his own accord. And, uh, and this poem also goes out to all the ladies, because I'm very happy that Kalamazoo has uh, some strong women writers. Because um, New York sometimes lacks in it, and a lot of scenes lack in it. And this is a poem dedicated to the best writer I know, my mother. When I told my mother that I wanted to be a veterinarian when I grew up, She told me that vets kill puppies and kittens and stuck needles into horses and bunnies with cancer. It's true, they do. When I told my mother that I wanted to be a zookeeper when I grew up, she told me that animals in captivity are still wild animals and hence would attack even the friendliest of caretakers, usually tearing them to shreds and eating the remains. You see, My mom and I had a lot of time to talk about these things. I was the last of the Aptowitz brood, always too young and too small to go on the backpacking trips and nature hikes that formed my brother and sister, the scientists. It was always just mom and me, a stack of books, and NPR coming through the radio like the voice of God. Mom never liked my career choice as much, though I knew I was going on the right track when one day, over a bowl of alphabet soup, I asked her, hey, Mom, how come there's such things as bad words? And she said, honey, there is no such thing as a bad word. Only words that aren't appropriate for all situations. For instance, you should never use the word shit in front of a nun. (laughs) You see... My mom gave me that. She gave me the gift of words. She gave me the power of words, and I never considered it a privilege. 
But my mom grew up in a time where words were being redefined, words like gender, power, class, and revolution. She grew up in a house where a wrench, spray-painted gold served as a shower dial, and a father overseas somehow had to support a wife, and four kids left stateside, being my mom, her sister, and two sons who wouldn't even recognize their father when he returned home five years later eating meat once a week, recycling shoes to the next kid in line, and using your babysitting money to buy groceries. Even my mom knew the score. So though she was top of her class, editor of her school literary magazine, editor of her school newspaper, the National Merit Scholar with the three newspaper a day have it, they still had to hear her tell him, honey, the scholarship is not going to be for English. If you want to go to college at all, it's going to have to be for science. So my mom, the biologist, became married my father, the chemical engineer, and together they produced three beautiful children, one of which she was going to make sure wouldn't be forced to feel the burn she was made to feel. One government paycheck with three kids under the age of four doesn't go very far, but mom always made sure we had books, even if it meant we rolled pennies instead of dice or bought our Christmas gifts from our neighbor's garage sales. People always ask me why I make such a big deal of it, saying, no, it's not Kristen Aftowitz, it's Kristen O'Keefe Aftowitz. It's just one word, they say. It shouldn't make that much difference, but I know the difference that words can make. It is a gift my mother gave me. And I honor her every time I put pen to paper, every time I put word to lip, and every time I sign my name. Because I know that in order for me to be who I am, to live how I live, to write how I write, it took Marine and O'Keefe, the visionary, the writer, to become Marine Aptowitz, the wife, the mother. My mom said that she'd never give any of us kids up for a novel or a job at the New York Times, though the way we behave sometimes she said she'd consider it. But I know that she's not joking because I have never seen her smile so bright or look so proud as when I finally told her what I wanted to be. And she said, you know what, honey? I think Kristen O'Keefe Aptowitz is the perfect name for a writer. You know, I don't know how many of you were here last year. Um, yes, Tracy was here. I believe Don Saylor was here. But uh, maybe some of you remember me as a happy-go-lucky kind of uh, shuckster, sort of a uh, clown prince of poetry, if you will. And it's true. I used to have a lot of fun with poetry. I <laughs> took joy in it until I realized it was a joyless endeavor <laughs> and that poetry is very fucking serious. And to that I say, why? Why? Why is it so dark in here? It is also cold. It must be because we're inside my soul. That's why. Can't see a thing, nothing to see, just emptiness. And what? What are all these shards of glass doing on the floor? 
or they must be the pieces of my porcelain heart that you shattered, you whore! I'll just meet you by this enormous pile of lies you told me. Oh, that's right. You don't want to see me anymore. Well, I'll just pull up a self-pity pillow and sleep. Forever sleep. Yes. I'll just dangle my toes in this ocean of alcohol. Do you hear that music in the background? It's Morrissey covering the cure. <laughs> no. No, it's more like Radiohead covering Skinny Puppy. Here, puppy, 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 come here, boy. You and I are a couple of bitches, aren't we? At least you can satisfy yourself. I cannot. I cannot reach the place in my soul that brings me the most happiness. I'm all washed up on the sandbar of misery. Washed up on the island of misfit toys. I can't put one foot in front of the other. It's all because of mother. Mommy! Oh, the telephone is ringing. Is that my mother on the phone? Mommy, let me back in. Treat us like a fetus, and by us I mean we. Me and futility, we're friends, don't you see? Do you smell that? It's the stench of a soul rotting from the inside. It reeks of desperation. It stinks of failure. Someone light a fucking match. I've met mine. I'm losing the match game. Charles Nelson Riley mocks me from his seat next to Brett Summers. There are no summers for me, Suzanne. Only winters, Jonathan. I'm a mid-season replacement that nobody watches. I'm a Rolex and everyone wants swatches. I've emptied my emotional pockets. They were full of lint. I can give nothing up for lint. I've given it all up. I drank all the happiness out of my half-empty cup. Instead, I will hibernate like a sad disease bear, boo-boo boy. Why should I wake up? I just don't fucking care. I have no gifts to bring. Rum, pum, 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 pum. It's all fucking over for me. I'm already done. And here comes the sun. And it's burning my flesh. Just like Reno did in Koresh. It is finished, Jesus. I'm ready for the fade into my own parade of woe. Woe, Blossom. There are no blossoms in my field, six, five, four, three. And the rowers keep on rowing. And they're certainly not showing any signs that they are slowing. Is the grizzly reaper mowing? Yes! So the danger must 
be growing. Because we're all stars now in the dope show. Peace of mind. <laughs> Fucking whatever. Peace on earth. Fucking whatever. Piece of shit. Piece of shit. Give it up one more time for Chris and O'Keefe Aptowitz. This will be the girl mic. All right. Before I found happiness in the lovably shaped imp that is Shappy, I was uh, made the stupid, stupid, stupid idea came into my head that a scientist and a poet would make a good match. And uh, that is very dumb because they, you do not make a good match. If I defy someone to make that a good match. And, uh, and I wrote all these poems about him trying to woo him, did not happen. And so I wrote this. Because I, what happened was I wrote a science love poem using all the science I knew didn't work. So I was like, you know what, asshole? You never tried to enter into my world. So this is, uh, this is called Lit. Or to the scientist who I am not speaking to anymore. A host. Put it aside. Don't say you didn't see this coming, Jason. Don't say that you didn't expect this to be my reaction and that you never intended for me to get so worked up. Because if that were true, you'd be dumber than Lenny from Mice and Men, blinder than Oedipus and Tiresias put together and feel less than a Dalton Trumbo character. You'd put the dick in Dickens, the boo in Kowski, and be more cowardly than Noel. But you don't understand any of these references, do you, Jason? because you're a geology major. And you once told me that scientists don't have time to read popular literature, that they have more important things to do. Well, be glad that you don't read, Jason, because maybe you won't understand these words as I scream them to you on your front lawn, on Thanksgiving Day, brandishing a hypodermic needle, a Ginsu knife, and a letter of permission from Brett Easton Ellis. I can't believe I used to want to Sappho you, Jason. I used to want to Annie's Nin and Henry Miller you. I used to want to be O for you, to blow for you in ways that even Odysseus' sales couldn't handle. But self-imposed illiteracy isn't a turn-on. You used to make fun of me for wanting to be a writer, saying that scientists cure diseases. But what do writers do? But of course, you wouldn't understand. I mean, have you ever gotten an inner Thurston for some Zora Neale Hurston? Have you ever heard Angels Herald for you to read F. Scott Fitzgerald? Have you ever had a beat attack for some Kerouac? The only Morrison you know is Jim. And you think you're the noble one? Go plath yourself. Your heart is so dark that even Joseph Conrad couldn't see it. It is so covered under bullshit that even post cops couldn't hear it. Your mind is as empty as the libraries in Fahrenheit 451. Your mind is as empty as Silas Mariner's coffers. Your mind is as empty as Huckleberry Finn's wallet. 
And some people might say that this poem is just a pretentious exercise to see how many literary references I could come up with. And other people might complain that this poem is, in its core, really shallow, just repeating the same emotions again and again and again. I mean, how many times can you express your contempt for Jason, Kristen, before the audience gets a little bored? But those people would be wrong, because this is not the poem I am writing to express my hatred for you. This is the poem I am writing because we aren't speaking. And it is making my heart hurt so bad that sometimes I can't make it up off the floor. This is the poem I am writing instead of the I miss having breakfast with you poem, instead of the let's walk dogs again past our old schoolhouse poem, instead of the I miss making fun of how much you like Garth Brooks in your Jeep in front of your parents' house poem, instead of the holidays are coming around again. You know what that means, suicide poem. I am writing this poem because I am tired of wanting to write the I could fall in love with you again so quickly. If only you would say one more word to me poem. But I am tired of loving you, Jason, because you obviously don't know how to love me right. And if some pretentious ass poem can prevent me from writing about the way your laugh sounds, about the way your skin feels in the rain, about how I'd rather be miserable with you than happy with anyone else in this world, if some pretentious ass poem can do all that, then I am gone with the wind. I am on the road. I am flying over the fucking cuckoo's nest. I am gone. I am gone. I am gone. I am. This one goes out to all the nerds in the house. Om. Nerd. Because I am that nerd, I am that nerd, I am that eternal nerd of spoken word. I am that nerd. What can I say? I spent all my rent money buying action figures on eBay. I didn't come here to chit-chat. I came here to role-play. I will smite thee with my 12-sided die. You better watch out, because I'm coming at you with my nerd eye. I'm rocking you like Getty Lee. I would talk to more girls if they didn't make me want to pee myself. I'm a magical elf. You better keep your hands off my Star Wars shelf. That's right, bitch. That's an MIP Jawa with its plastic cape. Don't that flip your switch just like the switch that Han Solo flicked on Boba Fett that caused him to fall into the saw leg pit lest we forget. Because I'm keeping it real with two E's, you see? I'm coming at you in 3D because I am the master of all that I view because I'm so much smarter and nerdier than you. I had Stephen gawking, hawking, and gawking, and hawking, and gawking, and gasping for air. I blew his mind with my knowledge and he fell straight out his chair. I beat Matthew Broderick at war games with my Atari. I dug up Einstein's bones and made them say I'm sorry for all that weak-ass theory of relativity because MC squared equals me, see? 
Because I'm the plastic baby Jesus in your mind's nativity. I'll deprogram your mind with my Commodore 64. I'm so rich in nerd power, I make Bill Gates feel poor. I will kidnap George Lucas from Skywalker Ranch and lock him in my basement until he removes Jar Jar Binks from every frame of Phantom Menace and replaces him with me, for I am an ancient Jedi Knight. Only Yoda be older. I knocked Mork's space egg out of orbit and made it crash land in Boulder. I am the one who gave Darth Vader asthma. I liquefied Alf and E.T. and drank of their plasma. Only I can unravel the mystery of the Sith, because I just knocked over the black monolith with my boner. <laughs> Bet you didn't see that one coming. Because I'm like a mystical nerd shaman that never keeps drumming, stops drumming on your stupid, stupid minds. For I'm the original Star Trek and you are Deep Space Nine. Because I'm like <laughs> spinning webs around your head like Spidey on acid because this nerd rocket has taken off and your shit be flaccid. Home. Thank you. We'll be back later. Let's give it back over to Tracy. Great. <laughs> okay, on with the open mic. On with the open mic. On with the open mic. Open mic poets, please keep it to one poem, two, if they are very, and I mean very fucking short. But we love you. We're going to try to get to everybody. That's the only thing. I, I let too many people sign up because I'm a nice guy. And, and we, you know, we're going to try to get through everybody. We're going we're gonna to try. We're going to try. Um, okay. Okay. Our first two performers in the open mic will be Chris Fisher. And then the Love Light Exchange will do some turns. Okay. You can clap now. How's everybody doing out there? Oh, come on. Woo, it's 10 o'clock. Everybody wake up. Okay, this is a brand new poem for me. It's called September 1971. I know most of you weren't born then. <laughs> September 1971, Central Square, Cambridge, Massachusetts. There was this small cramped door, a Central Square dance studio written in chipped gold letters on it, its paint peeling off in strips, and it was crammed between two scary-looking dingy store windows. I really don't want to go, Mom. I planted my feet in front of the gate of this gate into the unknown. We had taken two buses to get there. I could tell Mom had every intention of making me, making me move. She gripped my shoulders tightly. Let's give it a try, okay? The stairway was dark and dirty. Kind of smelled like our basement after the washing machine broke that time. At the top of the stairs, there was a long row of pegs, grown-up height, benches, and doors. It looked like the kindergarten coat room, but bigger. Lots bigger. Mom found an empty peg for my coat and I took off my red sneakers and put on my new ballet shoes. They were pink, beautiful, and I loved them. 
We walked across the hallway to a big metal door that had a sign on it. Do not enter with street shoes on. And I started to panic. My heart was going to fall right out of my chest. Could they tell that I had definitely worn my brand new pink ballerina shoes outside? What if everyone pointed fingers and didn't let me in? I looked anxiously up at the door and then back at mom. I'll be right here, she said. I opened the door cautiously. It was the biggest room I'd ever seen, like something out of my nightmares. One wall was all windows, another all mirrors with a dance bar and a huge grand piano in the corner. I had never seen a grand piano before, except on TV. I was awestruck. But most amazing of all was the teacher. She looked just like all of those beautiful yellow-haired princesses in my fairy tale books. I loved her at first sight. There was a and there were about six other kids in the class. I was still scared, and I noticed that I was the only kid wearing a black leotard under my pink tutu. In fact, I was the only kid with a tutu at all. I stood there. I couldn't move. I wanted to cry. The princess teacher took my hand and introduced me. Definitely love. And then she sprinkled us with imaginary fairy dust, sat down at the piano and told us we could dance any way we wanted to, so I did. I heard the music begin and became it. I closed my eyes and somehow never tripped. I fluttered like a butterfly, buzzed my wings like a bumblebee, I dropped down on all fours and prowled the jungle as a lioness, then jumped up and claimed my invisible sword to defend my pirate's treasure from other marauding pirates. I rescued Rapunzel from her high tower and joined a fairy ring sparkling and dancing at midnight. And then, suddenly it was over. I heard the clapping first. I opened my eyes. The fairy teacher and all the other moms were clapping and then my mom was grinning from ear to ear. I ran to her, did you see me, I asked. Sure did, she replied. Can we come again, I asked. I thought you hated it. She said, laughing at me with her eyes. Well, no, not really. Well, maybe just a little bit. What a fine crowd. Can you, is that, okay. I'm going to use this for my guitar, so. All right. All right, how y'all doing? We got a couple quick ones for you. Hey, uh, make sure you, uh, especially if you ain't giving to the church, make sure uh, you tip the uh, bartenderess. Uh, she's uh, working hard.
Shut up, shut up, shut up, shut up. 
Wait till we're done, wait till we're done. You're pissing me off. Spiderfingers Johnson. Booger over there infamously wrote these two songs and uh yeah. Or the Love Light Exchange. time for two more poets in our open mic and then I'm going to turn everything back over to Shaptowitz. You fell victim to one of the classic blunders. The most famous is never get involved in a land war in Asia, but only slightly less well known is this. Never go in against a Sicilian when death is on the line. <laughs> Ha 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 